John chapter 1. You'll find it on page 1063 if you're using those Bibles there in the pew. And we're going to uh, pretty much stick to this passage uh, this morning as we introduce uh, this book, John's Gospel. Let me pray. Father God, we've just been singing of Jesus. We've been saying that he's altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Lord, we have a sense of that, many of us, that Jesus is lovely and wonderful. Sometimes our sense of that's remote. We're people who've known you but feel distant and cold. Some of us maybe haven't had the chance to experience the, the wonder of Jesus. So we pray this morning that as we begin to look at this new part of your word, that we would see Jesus and that simply in seeing him for who he really is, we'd see the wonder. We'd be drawn to him in love. We'd be ready to, to live our lives for him and for his glory. Amen. I can remember early in my theological studies at Regent College, um, a professor in a particular subject giving out an early assignment, and it was to write a book review. And before long, I realized that this was a pattern that was going to run in all of the subjects with all the professors that give you pretty heavy books to have a good look at and then to write a review. Now, bear in mind that I studied maths, physics, and chemistry for A-level. I trained as an undergraduate in accounting and then did four years of professional accounting exams and experience. I hadn't written a book review in my life. Um, I probably did something on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in P6, but here I was being asked to, to write book review after book review. And I was pretty sure at the start that the whole point was to, to ensure that, that that joy that I spontaneously find in reading would be taken away, that I was here for some serious study. Uh, I wasn't intended to enjoy any of this. So I started writing book reviews. And eventually, after a very unhappy start, I began to see the, the benefit of, of reading uh, books with an eye out for a few things. It helped me to understand much more clearly what a book was about and what the author uh, intended in writing. The different professors often asked for slightly different things in their book reviews, but there were some common elements that you were expected to comment on pretty much in every case. Subject, what's this book about? Thesis. What's the particular point that the author wants to make about their subject? And then purpose. 
What is the author hoping to achieve in the mind of the reader? This morning I thought we'd have a quick introduction to John's gospel around these three book review kind of ideas. What's the subject? What is John's gospel about? What's John's thesis? What's his point? When we see what his subject is, what's he going to say about that? And then his purpose, why, why did he bother writing? What's he hoping will happen in, in the minds of his readers? So let's, let, let's get going here. We don't have to read too far. If you have John's Gospel open there before you, the subject comes out right in the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You get a sense here with that repetition that this, the, the subject might just be uh, right before us, this thing that he mysteriously calls the word. And just when we think that that might be something quite vague, um, something impersonal, he goes on to say about the word that he was with God in the beginning. So this word that he's talking about is a person a person who was with God in the beginning, and he goes on, a person who was God. Wow, that's quite far to go in, in a couple of verses. John, you've got, us, you've got us interested. Just who is this word, this mystery person? Well, he doesn't tell us, at least not yet. Instead of telling us the identity of the person, he tells us a little bit more about them. So in verse 3, he tells us that the Word, whoever that is, made everything. Verse 4, that the Word is full of life and that his life somehow lights up human lives. But John says, intriguingly, not everybody gets this. And further down in verse 10, John runs with that theme about the world not always understanding who who this is. And he tells us that although the Word made the world, the world didn't recognize him when he came to it. The very people he had created, by and large, didn't accept him. But then, and wait for it, those who did accept the Word find themselves being welcomed into God's family. Whatever it means to accept the word, these people are born into an entirely new life to be sons and daughters of God. John, this is pretty big stuff to be dropping in the opening few verses of your book. It's not until verses 14 to 18 that John starts to to be more explicit. The the hints get larger about the identity of the Word, the mysterious subject of this book. He says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This person who was with God and who was God in the beginning has become human, John says, and God has moved into our neighborhood. And in verses 17 to 18, he he tells us the identity of his mystery person. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. 
what is John's subject? What's this book going to be about, these 21 chapters that we'll look at for whatever number of weeks? John's subject is Jesus Christ. The Word made flesh, the eternal Son of God who's become human and has lived among us. John's subject's Jesus. Just in case we think that, well, he started by talking about Jesus, but he's going to move on to other things, turn with me to the very final verse of John's book. So John chapter 21, verse 25. Page 1091. John 21, the last verse. John finishes his gospel by saying, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. From the opening sentence of his gospel to the last sentence, John's subject is Jesus, and in all the sentences in between, his subject is Jesus. For John, there's nothing more important to write about than Jesus Christ, and there's no more important person to introduce his reader to than Jesus Christ. We still love to get to know people and personalities. Uh, modern day Britain, with its growing number of media platforms, uh, just illustrates that. So the old, uh, the old media of print, the newspapers and the magazines, well, Brad and Angelina and their like make sure that they keep selling weekend after weekend after weekend. Jonathan Ross and Pierce Brosnan and others uh, fill our evenings with their, their chat show format, chatting incisively with A-list celebrity guests. And we've even taken to following the random, usually misguided comments of football players on Twitter. We are fascinated by personalities. We like to, to know about them, to get behind the scenes, to see who they are, these people that we, we admire. In John's gospel, we're going to get the chance to get close to the one person who, who matters, Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is a distinctive quality of John's gospel that you don't really get the same way in the other gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John takes you closer to Jesus behind the scenes, if you like. The other three gospels focus on what you can see, mostly the external ministry of Jesus, his public work. But John chooses to select a smaller number of often quite intimate interactions with individuals. If you wanted to see the difference between John's gospel and the other gospels, you might say the other gospels are quite like the 10 o'clock news. And John's gospel, as I've already said, is more like a, a chat show format. John wants to introduce us to the person of Jesus. And this autumn in our morning series, we're going to tune in to that chat show format. We're going to allow John to introduce us to Jesus. 
And, and quite frankly, there's nothing better that you could give your time to. There's nothing better I could be doing for you than, than by pointing you to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come among us. And this holds true for all of us. Whether you're a person who has been a Christian and has been walking with Jesus for years, spending time with Him, reminding yourself of why you fell in love with Him in the first place. No better thing than that. And if you're a person who doesn't know Jesus at all, no better thing to give your time to than to spend some time in the company of God who came among us. So let's allow John this autumn to introduce us to Jesus. John's subject is Jesus. What's his thesis? What's he going to say about Jesus? John wants us to know that Jesus Christ came to give us life. Paragraph beginning verse 6, he tells us about another John, and you've got to think for a second here. We have two Johns. We have John the Gospel writer, but he starts talking then about John the Baptist. He tells us about John the Baptist, who was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for him. John the Gospel writer wants us to be clear about the role of John the Baptist. Verse 8, he himself wasn't the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But much more importantly than knowing what John the Baptist is about, he wants us to know what Jesus is about. Verse 9, he says, The true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. Jesus, John says, gives life. That's what he does. And if you pause for long enough to hear that, you'll know something very big is going on here. John reinforces this throughout his gospel. So, in, if I asked you now for a show of hands, tell me a verse from John's gospel that you know. A lot of you would be able to stick up your hand, and most of you would agree that the verse that you know Maybe John chapter 3, verse 16. It's one of these life verses. It's in the context that we don't always remember. It's in conversation that Jesus says the stuff that he says. He's talking to Nicodemus, a, a Jewish church leader. And Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Because Jesus came to give life. So that verse, we, we just see it printed on roadsides. What we don't remember is that Jesus said that about himself. God sent his son, and that's me, and I've come to give life. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, I'm just picking up on a few of the life verses in John's gospel. Jesus describes this life that he's come to give, and he calls it life to the full. He says, this life that I'm coming to give is the fullest life, the fullest way of living possible. And I want to pause there again for a second. Life to the full, is, is that 
what you're living just now? I'd say most of us, most of the time, would probably say no. Eugene Peterson sees here a great puzzle in modern life. He says the puzzle is why people live so badly. Not so wickedly, but so inanely. Not so cruelly, but so stupidly. There's little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture, he says. There's a lot of life about, but life to the full? How often do you see that? The Czech philosopher, Vitislav Gardavsky, he reckoned that we're living in great danger. And the terrible threat, he says, is that we might die earlier than we really do die. The real horror of life lies in a premature death, a death after which we go on living for many years. Being alive, but, but dead. Gordovsky's right. It's possible to be alive with breath in our lungs, with a pulse in our veins, but to be much, much less than fully alive the way God intended for us. And when we realize how little life we have in us, our natural instinct is to go out and try to find it wherever we can. If only I had more stuff, then I'd have some life in me. If only I had better friends and was more popular and more people on Facebook. If only I had more exciting experiences, then, then I'd feel alive. John's thesis is absolutely groundbreaking at this point. He says that Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, the life giver, is the only one who can give life. John's subject is Jesus. His thesis is that Jesus came to give us life. Thirdly, what's his purpose in writing? Why is John going to the trouble of writing a gospel about Jesus? John wants us to believe. That's what he wants. We get the first glimpse of it in the way he talks about John the Baptist in verse 6 and following. John, the gospel writer, tells us about John the Baptist. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. That is Jesus. Why? So that through him all men might believe. John the Baptist wanted people to see Jesus so that they would believe. And John, the gospel writer, explains why that's so crucial in verse 12. He tells us that it was to all who received him, to, to those who did believe in his name, that he gave the right to become 
children of God. This new life, this being born into the family of God, is for those who believe. It doesn't just land on everyone. It's not a universal blessing and experience that, that everyone, everyone finds. It's by believing in Jesus Christ. It's by recognizing that He is the Creator and the life giver that we receive the new life that God wants to give us. Turn with me again to almost the very end of John's Gospel, page 1090, John chapter 20 and verse 30. If I've been trying to discern what John's purpose is from those early verses of his gospel, here he tells us. He tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, why he wrote the thing. He says, Jesus did many other miracles, signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's everything we've talked about here this morning. That's why John wrote his gospel. So that we, each one of us, may see that Jesus is the Christ, God among us, and that by believing we would have life in his name. Let me close by speaking very personally for a moment. I share John's sense of purpose. John wants his readers to find new life in Jesus Christ, and that's all I want for you. That's what I want every time I preach. I don't do the hard work of sermon preparation because I have nothing else to do with my time. I have lots of other things that would easily crowd this out. We don't have this slot in our church service because it's some ancient Presbyterian tradition that we have to keep going and going and going. We do this. We gather around God's word. We listen to his voice that we might see Jesus and that each one of us might find life in him. I want you to find full life and eternal life. Life that never ends either in its, its breadth or in its depth. And if you've already taken the step of, of following Jesus, if, if what I'm talking about here already describes your experience, then, then my prayer is that God will use these times together to, to deepen for you, that sense of life that you're finding in Jesus Christ. And if you've never yet trusted Jesus, I pray that in moments like this, and in the time when you reflect on them afterwards, that God's Spirit would just move in your life, show you that Jesus is the life giver, and would breathe new life into you. As we study John's gospel together, 
as David and Mark and I share that. I hope we'll be sharing John's sense of purpose. We'll be teaching so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing, each one of us may have life in His name. Let's pray.